But before we get into the word today, I'm really excited and really pumped up. Uh, I just want to take a quick poll this morning. Uh, who actually did the reading this week? Oh, okay. All right. A students. Who didn't? Okay, that's totally fine. But here's the fact. You guys are now dismembered. You're not allowed here anymore. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But as a church, we have been going through the Bible. We have been reading it start to finish. And the reason why we have been doing this as a staff is because we wanted to uh, create a mature body of Christ to understand the full meta-narrative of Scripture. And there's two reasons why we have the Bible. One is that it is point, it's about Jesus and the redemptive story. The Bible is about Jesus and the redemptive story. And if you, if you don't believe me this morning, let's, let's go to Scripture. Let's see what Scripture has to say about this. So let's go to Luke chapter 24, verse 44. What I want uh, this morning, I want to hear those pages flipping. Uh, I don't want to hear just relying on the screens. I want to hear those fl pages flipping. Let's get our highlighters out. Let's get our pens out because there's going to be a lot of scripture that we're going to cover this morning. So I don't want to make sure that we're reading together. So let's go. Luke 24, verse 44. Then it says there, then he, Jesus, said to them. Now, this is after Jesus has lived his life, died, resurrected, and he's back with the disciples eating fish. If it was up to me, I probably would have given Jesus something a little different, but that's not the point of the story. They gave him fish. Then it says, these are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you. That every, now, here's the part that I want to highlight, that everything written about me being Jesus and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then it goes on to say in verse number 45, it says, Then he opened their minds and they understood Scripture. My question is, what did they not understand about Scripture? They didn't understand that Scripture was pointed to Jesus and that it was all about him and that it was about the redemptive story. It was about how God is reconciling us back to him and then to one another. So with that being said this morning, we understand that the Bible is about Jesus and about the redemptive story. As my good friends say, let's get in. So we have seen uh, the people, God protect the people of Israel. We have seen them, seen God do some amazing things. And we've also seen the people of Israel being enslaved in Egypt for 40, 400 years, not 40 years, but 400 years. And in the beginning of Exodus, we see God say, and I remembered my covenant with Abraham. Now, I'll lead a Bible study on Thursday mornings. It's called Foundations. If you want to join, you're more than welcome to join. But one of the points that I made to them, whenever you see that God says, I remembered my covenant or I remembered, just make a mental note um, and write down in the Bible that it's about to go down. And that's exactly what happened. It went down. After that, we see that God brought the plagues. We see, we see all of these amazing things that he's doing to show his glory, to show his power, not only to the Israelites, but also to the Egyptians. And last week, uh, Stephen covered how we see the Israelites coming out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and now they are at the Mount 
at Mount Sinai, and we see God descending on Mount Sinai in smoke and fire, and we see uh, trumpets blasting and scriptures. There's so many amazing things that happen. And now the Israelites are at the cusp of the promised land. And this is something that was promised to them long before any of them were ever born. So with that being said, let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. I'm so glad I got these like little dividers because it would be so hard to find this. <laughs> but it says there in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, it says, are, are we there? Are y'all good? Okay, cool. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now, this is what we can highlight here and underline, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now, you would think at this point that the Israelites, after seeing so many amazing things that God has done, after seeing him move, after seeing the plagues, after seeing them walk through the Red Sea on dry land, that it'll be a done deal here, right? Right? Wrong. (laughs) It wasn't a done deal because they chose not to believe. We all know the story. God asked them to send out uh, 12 spies to spy out the land, and they go and spy it out. They see the beautiful things. They come back carrying fruit. They come back um, saying that this is actually an awesome land, but in all actuality, they didn't believe what God was doing. So we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, to show us exactly uh, what happened there. And then it says in 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's my dog. Caleb's my boy. Caleb is one of those guys that just believe the promises of God. Then in 31, it says, then the men who had gone up with him said that we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Um, So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land the which we have gone out to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people saw in it, uh, all the people that we saw in it are of great height. So if you guys don't know, I grew up in the west suburbs of Chicago. And I like to say I'm from Chicago. I can't really claim it because I'm from the west suburbs of Chicago. It's it's Elmhurst, to be honest. Um, And it's filled with people that looks like a lot of people that I'm seeing right now, if that makes sense. (laughs) All right, all jokes aside, let me focus here. (laughs) And one of the things we used to say, especially when people uh, would do some silly stuff and do some stuff that didn't make any sense, and I know this is going to sound funny, so don't laugh. Don't make me laugh. One of the things we would say is, bro, what is you doing? What is you doing? And I know it's broken English. It doesn't make sense. But that's something that we would say to one another, especially when we would do silly things. And I couldn't help but have that be in the back of my mind as the Israelites are going into the promised land and don't believe the promises of God. They know that God is giving them this land. It's a done deal. It's nothing that they have to do. It's a done deal. It's sealed because God is giving it. All the Israelites have to do is remember. Remembrance leads to obedience. 
The same God, the same God that brought them out of Egypt is going to bring, has brought them to the promised land is go, and is going to bring them into the promised land. But they have to remember. So let's look at what the Israelites do after hearing this bad report in Numbers chapter 14. We're moving quickly here. Running out of time already. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. I'm sorry, it's, it's kind of comical. But they raised a loud, a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If you know the joke, you know it. If you don't know it, let's just move on. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Find it funny. And I kept repeating to myself as I'm reciting this and reading it. I just kept saying, really? Really? You're deciding to grumble and complain. But ultimately, their grumbling and complaining wasn't against Moses and Aaron. But their grumbling and complaining was against God and his promises. My question this morning for, for you guys and also for me is how often do we grumble? How often do we complain? How often do we sin? I think a lot of times when we look at this passage, we like to separate it and make it, make it seem like the Israelites are so different. They're in a different time. They're so different than we are. And we're in today, and everything that they went through doesn't apply to us today. It's so disconnected. But as we read this passage and reevaluate our own lives, I think we find something different. I think we find in our own lives that we're exactly the same as the Israelites, that we don't believe God's promises, that we fall short, that we sin, that we grumble, that we complain against what God has already given us. So let's keep reading. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. And this is the Lord responding to the Israelites grumbling and complaining. He says there, how long will the people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater 
and mightier than they. God was ready to wipe these jokers out. He had enough. And if we, if we put ourselves in Moses' shoes here, I think we would say, yeah, you know what, I'm cool with that. You know, I don't like her, I don't like him, and let's just be done. Start over with me. I'm your guy. But as we continue to read, I think we find something completely different. Moses takes a different approach that I think, honestly, that I wouldn't expect looking at this. I would never expect Moses to do this. So let's pick up chapter 14, verse 13. There's a lot of reading. I'm sorry, guys, but it's, it's just a, such, such a great story. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought us up, for you brought, brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of the land that they have, that they, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of your people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them and goes before them, and a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, here we go, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying. Now, this is the part where Moses actually recites what the Lord said in Exodus 34. So Moses is giving back to the Lord what he has already said. He says there, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on children, on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to your greatness and your steadfast love. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Instead of Moses actually going with the flow here, instead of him actually doing as God proposed, he actually starts interceding for the people of Israel. He starts praying for them. Stephen made a great point last week, and I think that this is something that we need to constantly remember as we're reading through Scripture and as we see God's hand of discipline. Jesus is the greater Moses. And in the same way that Moses interceded for the people of Israel, Jesus is interceding for us. When we sin, when we fall short, Jesus is interceding for us. That one day when we see Jesus face to face, as Stephen said last week, that his blood says, not guilty. 
And that's the hope that we have. Moses brings up another point, not just to God's glory, but he brings up what the other nations will think of God if he destroys the people of Israel. And and Moses actually talks God up in the process as well. But here's another point that I want to bring out is that God is committed to his people for his own glory. That comes as a contradiction to the day that we live in. Because everything is about us. We're so special and just God loves us and we're just so beautifully and wonderfully made and we are made in his image and we're just so awesome. And that is very true. We are made in his image. We are beautifully and wonderfully made. But we are beautifully and wonderfully made for one single purpose. It's for God's glory and for his renown. God brought the people out of Israel for his glory. The Israelites were chosen by God for his glory. There's so many different examples in scripture that talks about for God's glory. If you don't believe me, let's go back to scripture. Isaiah 43, 7. It says, everyone who is called by my name, here we go, whom I created for my glory. It's not because you are so awesome. It's not because you are so special. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's for his glory that we exist. It's for his glory why we sing. It's for his glory why we raise our hands. It's for his glory why we shout. It's for his glory, not for our own. How selfish are you to think that it's about you? It's not about you. In Romans 11, 36, it says there, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now here we go. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He deserves all glory. He deserves all all honor and all praise. And because of his goodness, because of his kindness, and because he is merciful, and because he is glorious, and because he is righteous, and because he is good, and because he is beautiful, God gives the people of Israel exactly what they want. He doesn't allow them to go into the promised land. He disinherits this generation from the promised land. So let's pick up in Numbers 
14, verse 20. It's not going to be on the screens, so just follow along in your Bibles. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned. I have pardoned. God was completely justified and completely righteous to wipe them out right then. But we see here, I have pardoned. According to your word. But truly as I live, and as all the earth shall be with glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to their fathers. So the question this morning is how does this apply to, the, to us? How does this story apply to us? Well, I'm glad I asked because it worked perfectly with my sermon. <laughs> Why don't you follow me over to Hebrews? So let's jump to Hebrews 3. Now, I grew up um, thinking that you could just open up the Bible and point and then start reading and say that God was speaking to you. (laughs) Not so. But I actually feel like Hebrews is one of those chapters where you could do that because it sums up the Old Testament so perfectly. It explains all the questions that you might have. So let's pick up in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we... Have, to come, have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as it is in the rebellion. What rebellion is he speaking of? Let's continue reading. For who were those who, had, who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did we swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were, uh, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging us not to be like the Israelites. Being so close to the promise of God. Being so close, but yet so far. What is our promised land? I can tell you what it isn't. I can tell you what it ain't. 
It's not some dream that God has given you. It's not being successful in your, in your jobs, in your homes, or your place of work. It's not having more money. That's not the promise of God. And there's preachers that try to twist God's word to make it seem as if that's God's promise for your life. Things that will rust, things that won't last. That's not our promised land. That's not the promises of God. Hebrews 11 tells us exactly what the promised land is. So let's turn there in our Bibles. I want to hear those pages flipping. Come on, y'all. And we're going to pick up. I had 13, but I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to stay at 13. Never mind. And it said, these all died in faith. Hebrews 11 is talking about the hall of faith. All of these amazing people that we see, Abraham, Moses, all of these people. Not having received the things promised. So you tell me they didn't see the promises of God? They didn't see it? But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. People of God, does that not sound like us? That we are strangers, that we are exiles on earth? For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeing a homeland. Now, here's, here's what I want to highlight here in this verse. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity just to return, to go back. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Just like the people of Israel being enslaved for 400 years and God remembering his covenant brings them out of the land brings them to the promised land. In the same way, God did the exact same thing for us. Being enslaved to sin, dead in our trespasses, but God remembering his covenant. And the pinnacle of the Bible the part that everything is pointing to. It's about Jesus and the redemptive story. The pinnacle is salvation. 
The pinnacle is the cross. The pinnacle is the love that God displayed at the cross. The pinnacle is the wrath that God displayed that we deserved. So we see that we're not so different from the Israelites. We see that God keeps his promise. And we see that our promised land isn't something physical that we can touch with our hands, but it is a promised land literally being made by God. I would encourage us this morning to not grow weary. I would encourage us this morning that when things look hard and when things don't go our way, to not get weary in doing well. To not be deceived by sin. To not allow our hearts to be hardened. I would encourage us this morning to look to Jesus. I'm encouraged by Hebrews 12. And it's not on the screens. And this is right after he finished talking about the hall of faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also Lay aside every weight, every burden, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Verse 2 is probably my favorite verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus, church. Don't be like the Israelites, being so close to the promises of God, being so close to the promised land, but run with endurance. Because ultimately, 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 we want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful. Servant. We want to live in light of eternity. Live with our eyes focused on Jesus, focused on who He is and what He has done, not changing our gaze, not looking to anything else, not being distracted by the cares of life, but running with 
endurance. One of our core values at Word of Grace is we keep Jesus at the center. Why? Because Christ alone, Christ alone, Christ alone, not your gifts, not your talents, not your treasures, but Christ alone is the hope for the world. He's the hope for you. He's the hope for you. He's the hope for you. He's the hope for me. Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. I pray that we are encouraged by that truth. I pray that our feet will be placed on solid ground. And all other ground is sinking sand. just want us to, this isn't planned, I just want us to take a moment. And pause and reflect. About the goodness of God. And how awesome he is. And it's not based off anything that we have done. But it's because he is good. It is because he is merciful. Let's just take a moment. Ultimately, God, we thank you for being Alpha and Omega. We thank you for being the founder and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for leading by example. We thank you for having endurance. We thank you for despising shame. God, we aren't the center of attention. We aren't the prized possession. But you are. You are holy. You are just and you are merciful. God, I'm so grateful that in our brokenness, that in our sinful nature, that you are interceding for us. Without your power, without your Holy Spirit literally reaching for us, and bringing us in. 
we would not see you. We would be so far away from your love. But thanks be to God, who deserves all glory, all honor, and all praise. Help us not to be so distracted by the cares of this world, so distracted by ourselves, so consumed with ourselves that we don't trust, that we don't believe, that we grumble, and that we complain against you. But ultimately, God, help our hearts to be softened towards your will, softened towards your way. Because we want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So God, we give you all the glory. God, we give you all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.